Chapter five of I've Come to Stay, a love comedy of Bohemia by Mary Heaton Vorse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter five. Ambrose descended four long flights. He walked to the next door and reascended four long flights. He entered and he was not, as usual, greeted by the purring of his cat. By the light of his fire he found his way to the gas. It was a studio put together from odds and ends, but there was a touch of enchantment about it. It was a place in which to tell one's self stories. That it was instinctive and not planned revealed the weakness of Ambrose's character, according to modern standards of what a young man's room should be. It was, however, deadly uncomfortable to live in, cold and draughty, and with but one or two comfortable places to sit, so one should not blame Ambrose too much for his picturesqueness. Tonight, when Ambrose came in, the place for no reason he could define had an air of strangeness. He lit the light. It flared with dim mellowness over the room, which, until one examined its component parts, seemed rather the threadbare grandeur of former days than the abode of a modern young gentleman. He called his cat. That stately but forbidding animal he discovered lurking on the top of the piano, as he did only when deeply disturbed. Ambrose looked around everything but the cat was in place nothing had altered and yet the sense of strangeness pursued him he sat down took up a book and tried to read the attic creaked strangely it had many noises but tonight there was a new sound something unaccustomed and strange and so vague that it troubled one besides the sentinel cat refused to come down from the piano ambrose abandoned his book he went to the piano and sat down he played but vaguely, but found much consolation from his musical wanderings. Tonight there was no consolation. He was watching with too great intentness for the vague little unusual sound. I have a poor nervous system, he concluded. For a long time he fought down his ever-growing conviction that there was someone in the room. There were, after all, very few places where a full-grown person could hide. Finally Ambrose gave way to his nerves, looked beneath the couch, behind the secretary at last he approached a little screen covered with a lovely old brocade it had an ancient and expensive air but the talented ambrose had made it himself and had stolen the brocade from a trusting friend he paused before it unmistakably there was the shadow of sound from it the sound if one wished to be fanciful as of someone breathing his heart beating rapidly he cautiously pulled the screen aside seated on a box in which ambrose when expecting company put everything from shoes to pipes sat sonya mucha her hands which were meagre as bird's claws were clasped tightly across her knees her face and her mouth were as white as pierrot's indeed she gave the impression of some creature not quite real beside her reposed an amorphous bundle and a carpet-bag so odd in build so venerable of aspect that it seemed the grandfather of all the carpet-bags of the world noah when repairing into the ark must have carried with him this carpet-bag and it must have come to him down the corridors of time for a moment the child and ambrose contemplated each other ambrose spoke first good evening sonya he remarked i'm very glad to see you but i'm sure you're not quite comfortable where you're sitting at this sonya rose to her feet and cried at him you are mean mean to make fun of me and for your own vainness too just so that you can fa figura to yourself i was only trying to be polite murmured ambrose you were not she cried you were trying to be clever it is an abominable trick 
It is polite to seem surprised when one finds people behind screens. Oh, said Ambrose contritely, is it? I'll remember. You see, I've found so few people behind screens. Stop, cried Sonya, stamping a foot. Stop being funny. I can't bear it. Sonya inquired Ambrose seriously, what were you doing behind that screen and why were you there? She had been waiting for this. It was her cue. I was there because I was waiting for you. I was there because I was afraid, she responded. Afraid, Ambrose wondered. I thought you were a super child. And what are those bags, Sonya? That's just it. That's just it, cried Sonya. I know I'm doing right. I know the world owes it to me, but I got cold feet. Those bags are here because I have come to stay. You have seen with what insouciance he faced Sonya and her luggage behind his screen. This was his creed, for he was descended from the race of beaux and elegants whose life was spent in quelling surprise. You have followed Ambrose through a surprise and a proposal, and saw how true to his selected type he remained. But now his humorous calm deserted him. You have what? he cried. Say it over again, Sonya. I have come to stay, Sonya repeated stolidly. You are going to take care of me. The world owes me an opportunity. You know I have talent, so I have come. She sat there very small but firm as the Sphinx, though her words seemed to Ambrose like the ravings of Chimera. Ambrose sat down. Look here, my good child, he began weakly. What will your grandpa? Oh, don't begin on that, she warned. Don't ask me what my grandfather is going to do without me. He has had his opportunity. What did he do with it? He made a beautiful human being. He developed his gift as a marvelous personality. But my gift is dancing. You all sit around here and talk about art. I am art. I have more true feeling in my smallest finger than the rest of you in your great bodies. Moreover, I am not lazy. I do not argue, for I have thought where I could best live, and I have decided with you. Her voice trembled slightly. It was evident that she had in imagination been many times over this conversation, and that, moreover, she was in deadly earnest. Hang it all, it won't do, you see. Go along and find a girl to help you in your career. Sonya looked down. Do not waste time in arguing, but tell me where I am to sleep, she said. She threw her head up sharply. Do not for a moment suppose that I feel you are doing me a favor. I think it is a privilege. No doubt, no doubt, Ambrose agreed. The only thing is, it isn't done. There are societies for the prevention of cruelty to children, for the prevention of all kinds of things. You will be deuced hard to explain, you know. Deuced. I shall not explain, Sonya replied coldly. Oh, I dare say not, Ambrose responded bitterly. Besides, I am indigent, my dear child, well-connected, but indigent. You spend foolishly more than I'll cost. I've watched you. Everyone says you get a great deal for your stories. When I write em, Ambrose moodily replied, I write as the early Britons hunted, merely for food. Well, you work more now, you'll see. I don't agree with grandfather's theories. I don't believe in just sitting around and starving and talking about the revolution. No, I believe in doing. I believe in art, and art never comes by sitting around. You will work, Ambrose, as you never did before. Look here, Sonya, Ambrose began cautiously. His gaily flippant manner had vanished. Ambrose, she said, you are a short sport. Here I come knocking at your door, saying I am an adventure, I am life, and you would turn me away if you could. Look here, said Ambrose, little girls of fourteen can't come knocking around talking like that, or like Max Stirner. I'll be darned if they can. I've got some character, too, 
and I'll bet your grandfather won't be any more pleased by this than the time you almost got arrested for catching a ride on a hearse. A precious lot he cared when you told him it was a manifestation of your individuality. This joke has gone far enough. I'll take you to your grandfather. Sonya had grown even paler. You can't, she said. Why not? asked Ambrose. I'm not going back to him. Her lip was trembling. Why not? Ambrose asked again. What's happened, Sonya? Grandfather's dead, said Sonya, and buried her face in her hands. Sonya, cried Ambrose. Oh, Sonya, when? Four days ago. He took her icy little hand in his. Poor plucky little brat, he thought. Then he noticed she was trembling and shaking all over. Sonya, he cried. Sonya, when did you eat last? I believe you're hungry. She looked at him with blazing eyes. I'm not, she lied, and fainted. Ambrose picked her up and carried her to a couch. He got sherry and poured a few drops through her white lips. It's all right, Sonya, he told her. Of course you'll stay here. Not because you pity me. Don't you dare to pity me, she flared. Oh, no, no, indeed, Ambrose assured her. Just because you came, you know. She peered at him and fainted again. End of chapter 5 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine